Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 13. If any man takes a wife, and again, we're just getting these rapid-fire reviews of the different laws. Um, you know, sometimes they're in such succession that your Bible may even just list them as miscellaneous laws. Okay? They're not miscellaneous. Okay? It, it is labeled that way sometimes because in certain cases, <coughs> one law that follows another may seem completely unrelated. Uh, so, you know, you, you get that sense of, well, this is just sort of a, a packet of law, laws that have been clustered together. If you look a little harder, sometimes there's an underlying thread uh, within the few that you might cover. So here, if any man takes a wife and goes into her, that's intimately, and detests her, it's not necessarily the idea of hatred. <clears throat> it gives a, a further explanation and charges her with shameful conduct and brings a bad name on her and says, I took this woman, and when I came to her, I found she was not a virgin. So they're going to specifically describe uh, what is meant and how this is um, assessed in the circumstances. So I, I found she was not a virgin, as, as she had claimed is the idea. Then the father and the mother of the young woman shall take and bring out the evidence, which is explained uh, in just a moment, the evidence of the young woman's virginity to the elders of the city at the gate. The young woman's father shall say to the elders, I have my daughter, uh, I gave my daughter to this man as wife, and he detests her. Now he has charged her, with shameful conduct, saying, I found your daughter was not a virgin, and yet these are the evidences of my daughter's virginity, and they shall spread the cloth before the elders of the city. Literally, previously described in Leviticus, the parents <coughs> would retrieve the sheets from the, the, the wedding bed, with the blood on them that showed the sign that she had not been intimate with a man previous to her wedding. And if we're all sitting here thinking like, that is the most outrageous thing I've ever heard. Uh, consider the gravity that the Lord is trying to relay about the importance of virginity. Okay. Sexual purity in this culture, the consummation of the marriage was, and you got to explain it carefully, it wasn't done out in the open and publicly, but it was done, the consummation of the marriage was done in the full awareness of the entire wedding party, the entire reception. The, the couple would come together at the wedding ceremony there would be either the house or a place set up for them to be private. They would go in there while everyone else continued to celebrate the wedding. They would consummate the marriage, come back out, and everyone would rejoice in the fact that this couple had was now physically bound together as one. You know, nothing perverted about it, nothing uh, that involved, you know, any intimate knowledge on the people other than the fact of we've performed, we've waited over a year, we've gone through the betrothal, we've had this ceremony. They celebrate for a whole week, right? I mean, if you're, you know, husband and wife, you're not going to wait a week to be intimate with your new spouse, right? You're going to have the meal, you're going to do all of the celebration, then you're going to go and be intimate, and then everyone's aware. The parents would immediately go in and remove the bed sheets, literally, and keep them for occasions such as this. Evidence that this young woman had been protected by them. They had preserved her. And, and honestly, I don't mean to be rude to anybody, right? As parents, very often what we're doing is protecting our children from themselves. Okay, 
Their hormones are raging. Their mind is developing all kind of thought about independence and life and marriage and family. And you have everything you can do to guide and steer and contain that. Notice, it's going to get deeper. It comes down to the parents, right? Her virginity is in the hands of, more than anything, the father. The parents are responsible for this. It's really a remarkable statement that the Lord is putting forward here. <clears throat> now, he's charged her with shameful conduct. I said, saying, I found your daughter was not a virgin. <coughs> Forgive me, you guys. <coughs> I suffer from this all the time with <coughs> allergies. I should regularly take stuff for it, but <coughs> I get to the fall, leaves, mold, all of that. Then I start talking too fast. <coughs> all right. So, spread the cloth before the elders of the city. <clears throat> then the elders of that city shall take the man and punish him. And they shall fine him <clears throat> 100 shekels of silver and give them to the father of the young woman because he has brought a bad name on a virgin of Israel. And she shall be his wife. He cannot divorce her all his days. <clears throat> this is something that, as far as practical application goes today, I encourage people to be above reproach. When, when a couple is dating, when they're seeing one another, when they're marrying, there's a lot that can be said. You know, if, if you're not accountable, then people can say things. And you say, well, people talk. Well, people do talk. But there's also the issue of, do we create situations where people can talk? Okay. <clears throat> I have a, a bad, long history of drug addiction and alcoholism. And the Lord delivered me from that, miraculously. <clears throat> and it's a big part of what I do as a minister, to minister to people who struggle with drug addiction and alcoholism. As a result of that, I avoid any appearance of being associated with that stuff. And I go to the extreme with this. And one of the last occasions that I struggled with this directly, <clears throat> I was a Christian, had no real desire for drunkenness, intoxication, anything of that nature, but I had this terrible habit on my birthday where I would go and have a Mexican meal and drink one or two beers with that meal. And my wife had gotten on my case about how that might influence other people. And I was having my annual self-indulgent Mexican meal with my beer. And my wife just very politely said, what would you do if one of the young men from the church walked in and wanted to talk to you right now. And I immediately w went to, I didn't say it to her because of pride, sinful pride, but I immediately went to, how would I get rid of that? How would I keep them from seeing that? And she just left me in that stew of my own problem. And that was the last time that I ever did that. And I went even further with it, right? Because then I start doing this thing with, well, I like the taste of beer, so I'll just drink non-alcoholic beer. And as I was drinking one, I had the same thought. What if, what if someone just saw me with this, right? You know, and you can go through all of the different, well, that's their problem, and they're being judgmental, and they're looking on, and I could say all of these things, but in the end, what Paul is saying is, if I'm going to cause someone to stumble into sin through simply eating meat, I'll never eat meat again. That's quite a statement, right? If I'm going to cause someone else to sin. If you do these things, that's between you and God. I'm talking about Will Cass, who has a very bad history with these things, who's trying 
to help people be delivered from those things themselves. Now, I'll go even further. I really like root beer. How about you? No, no comment. Everybody's just too serious at the moment. I've taken you to a place that requires too much thought. Follow me in this, right? I really like IBC root beer, right? Probably because it's so bad for me. But anyway, it's loaded with sugar. It's so good. Love that stuff. But they put it in a brown bottle that looks like a beer, right? So if or when I buy it, I immediately put it in a glass and I drink it from the glass because it looks like I'm drinking a beer. If I'm out on the lawn mowing and somebody sees me standing here, there's, there's, if they take a photograph, there's no way I'm going to be able to say, that was an IBC, you know what I'm saying? I, I try to avoid that. Well, one of the members of my family also has this affinity, and um, he was continuously bringing them to the house. Well, we lived in Lemoyne, and some of you are familiar with Lemoyne, right? That 90-degree corner right there in the center of Lemoyne, we lived in that white house for eight years. People, people came by, and, and literally three different people came by in the eight years that we were there and said to us as a family, just wanted to say to you guys what an encouragement you are as a family living in this house. And we're like, what are you talking about? They're like, we see you every night gathered around the table having a meal as a family. We don't, we don't see that anywhere. That the whole front of that's wrapped glass, and as you come around, we sit. And and one of them even said, "We've come around the corner several times and seen you as a family sitting at that table praying together." Right? If you think I'm exaggerating, Mark, I think was at the house. A couple others were there. We were having a church gathering, and I turn around, and there's two strangers standing in my kitchen, and I say can I help you? And they say, isn't this a restaurant? And I said, uh, no, it's our home. I mean, they're like 25 feet inside the house. You understand? They've walked full in. They uh, No, follow me in this. It pertains to what I'm saying. <clears throat> because remember those days, Mark, when we had so many cars in the yard that we had to, we actually had to direct traffic. People would come in, and we'd pull them onto the lawn and park them all at a specific angle. Why? Because then when they back out, they've got to go out around off the lawn on the other side. It looked like a parking lot. And that's what this couple thought. All these cars parked here all neatly, and the front of the place all glass. And look at all these people sitting inside and eating. The Lord, the Holy Spirit, led them there because he was an elder pastor from Canada. He and his wife and they were come down here to see his best friend who he'd gone through seminary with. That man was preaching his last sermon the next day. And I just said, well, you're family, so stay and eat with us. So they did, and we became friends, and we still communicate every now and then. Okay? Here's my point. <clears throat> I came home one day, and I had said to... My family member, if you're going to bring home IBC root beer, I want you to put it in a glass and share it with everybody. But don't sit around that kitchen table with everybody swilling IBCs because it literally looks like you're giving beers to 11-year-olds. <laughs> and I arrive home, and as I come around the corner, I look, and there's a whole bunch of 11-year-olds having beers at my kitchen table. IBC root beers. And I pull in the driveway and I go inside and I say to my family member, hey, come with me. And he's like, okay. And we walk outside and across the street and we stand in the corner and we look back in the window. And I just said, how does that look to you right now? And he just hung his head. And we went back inside and got the glasses out <laughs> and I got rid of the bottles. Right? <clears throat> when the scripture says that we should abstain from even the appearance of evil. Okay? Even the appearance of evil. You, you, you have to consider that you literally could possibly cause someone else to stumble into sin. Okay? <clears throat> I understand legalism. I'm not into that. 
I'm not. I, 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 if I've put that in your heart right now, I apologize. That's not my intention. Hey, my my intention is selfless consideration of others in regard to dating and these things. We have to conduct ourselves in a way, and especially gentlemen, we have to conduct ourselves in such a way that we're considering the young woman's reputation and what we're doing to it, what we might do, right? Because here's the thing, being the head of your household and being the leader in the relationship requires, if, if you're like, dude, you've gone way too far with this explanation. Well, consider how far the scripture has just gone in its explanation, right? Keeping the bed sheets from a marriage night as evidence of purity the scripture places sexual purity on the highest level. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, right? <clears throat> this is part of the reason we have the young children stay out of our adult Bible studies, right? There's all kinds of different rituals and forms in all of the different religions of the world. Inside Judeo-Christian uh, belief system, this whole thing started with the male reproductive organ was going to be marked as different through circumcision than the rest of the world. That's, that's a dramatic thought that God said, I want your sexual identity to literally be, if you want to say it, scarred by your relationship with me, marked, forever marked about your relationship with me especially this area, right? Because it has to do with family. Think about how much the world is rejected. They, oh, they embrace the pleasures of sexuality, but they reject the intention, right? God designed the pleasures. He wants us to have the full expression experience of the sexual pleasures. Read the book of Song of Solomon. Very detailed, right? The Jews wouldn't allow a man, they wouldn't allow a person man or woman, to read the Song of Solomon unless they were either 30 years old or already married. If you were unmarried and under 30, you were forbidden to read the book. Too intimate. Shouldn't be known. Our culture, our children are being saturated with this constantly. This is a culture that was extremely protected extremely isolated from seeing these things, knowing these things, understanding these things. And yet the parents still had a tremendous job and duty to deliver their child all the way to the marriage bed pure. Our culture is a gajillion miles from that. And, and we as Christians need to understand <clears throat> that the conduct of the Christian needs to be just light years of separation between the thinking and the conduct of the world and the way that we should be. So, within this thought, and again, if you think I've taken it too far, let's read a little more. They shall find him 100 shekels, the man who made this accusation of silver, give them to the father of the young woman because he has brought a bad name on a virgin of Israel. Even though it's been proven that he was wrong, the accusation sticks, doesn't it? Once the rumor has gone out, it sticks. You've tarnished something that was beautiful and pure through your accusation. Brought a bad name on the virgin, on a virgin of Israel. <clears throat> a bad name on the virgin of Israel. And she shall be his wife. He cannot divorce her all of his days. Well, you're going to have to do a lot of work on your own heart if you're going to stay in that marriage, huh? If you've made a false accusation, there's a lot of repair that's going to need to be done in order for you to live with that dear, pure woman for the rest of your life. Consider what the Lord is saying here. <clears throat> uh, but this, But if this thing is true, and evidence of virginity are not found for the young woman. Then they shall bring out 
the young woman to the door of her father's house, and the men of her city shall stone her to death with stones because she has done a disgraceful thing in Israel to play the harlot in her father's house. So you shall put away the evil from among you. Think about that. My daughters are the most precious thing in my life. Grandkids are awesome, but without daughters, I don't get grandkids. And if I were to be this man and to have failed in this way, and not only is the reputation there, but now my daughter has been executed on my doorstep. That is, I can't even, how do you describe the gravity of that? That's intense. That's, that's beyond imagination. The sorrow involved with that. Do you understand the gravity of sexual purity that the Lord is trying to relay here? We, we need to, right? Obviously, we're not going to start executing people. But we need to let the deaf, think about this, right? The great debate, Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem council, what are we going to require of the Gentiles? They've become Christians now. Can they eat meat? Do they need to go to church on Saturdays? Do we you know, require all the Levitical law of them? The summary of the thing is two parts, right? They, as church leadership, write a letter and they tell the Gentile church, there are two things required of you, two. Now, you back up, and there are two points of law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. But move forward into that. You're going to abstain from idolatry and avoid sexual immorality. And that will be the entire summary. And if you're a serious student of the Scripture and you know <clears throat> that the passage tells them that they are to abstain from idolatry, to not... Uh, consume things that are strangled nor blood. Both of those practices were part of the pagan idolatry. So, so the summary is, do not be idolatrous and do not be sexually immoral. That, that's, I mean, Old Testament, New Testament, the gravity of this, right? Create Adam and Eve, put them in the garden. You know, what does he command them? Go into the whole world and procreate. Fill the whole world with your population. That intimacy of marriage, <coughs> reproduction, central in creation, central in worship, <coughs> God wants them to have purity in this. And if there's failure, <coughs> then the Lord puts the responsibility on the Father's doorstep. On the Father's doorstep. I think we, as Christian men, need to embrace that gravity and be very, very serious about the purity of our children, to be involved. Right? If, if we have an attitude like, well, kids will be kids, <coughs> right? What do they say? Boys will be boys. If that's our attitude, then I say it's, our, it's an improper attitude, it's an ungodly attitude. Attitude. So, <clears throat> moving on in verse 22, if a man is found lying with a woman married to a husband, then both of them shall die. The man that lay with the woman <coughs> and the woman, so you shall put away the evil from Israel. Of course, we need to understand the grace of God. Right? In our own lives, many of us <clears throat> come from sinful backgrounds that may even involve this. We have to consider what Jesus did when they dragged the woman out into the street, caught in the act of adultery. Like all of the other occasions, I think that that's a total setup. Um, you know, they come and they're asking Jesus trick questions. Right? They bring this woman out. And they say, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Well, the obvious question at that moment should be, where's the man? Okay, 
You don't just stone one person in that setting. You, you stone both people. It doesn't matter. Right? If the man was unmarried and she's the married woman, it doesn't matter. Anyone that's engaged in this is to be put to death. The reason they're put, to be put to death is the destruction that it creates within the culture. It, it wreaks havoc. Right, anyone, anyone who's been through this personally knows how destructive it is to family and to marriage. It's, it's unbelievable what happens. <clears throat> what happens within a culture that allows this, puts up with it. You know, the, the big turn, you guys, in America, a lot of people don't realize this, as far as the family construct, <clears throat> was in was late 50s. Really, but the, the court cases continued on, and it was in the early 60s when we finally nationally embraced no-fault divorce. When, when the courts just finally said, we're not going to put any stipulation. Previously, you had to bring evidence. What's your reasoning for this divorce? You had to bring reasoning. And there were a few things. Abuse, abandonment, you know, adultery was one of the easiest for them to weigh judgment upon. Our culture didn't just allow this. Don't want to live with that person anymore? All right, no, no problem. Just sign the paperwork. That's where we're at now. God wants to protect and preserve the family. <clears throat> because if you don't preserve the family, then you lose the culture. Okay? And I understand, right? It goes both directions. Because we could put the legal gun to everybody's head and say, we're not going to allow you to, to divorce. And so, you know, then marriage becomes hell on earth. Uh, that, that isn't God's desire either. The condition of the heart is what's promoting or destroying that home. At the root of it, what I want you to hear, what I want you to grasp, is the importance of family and marriage and what God is saying about preserving it. He's saying here that if someone's going to commit... Uh, adultery, then execution is the only sentence in that. <laughs> That's going to make you seriously consider whether you would ever do that, okay? And, and whether you've ever meditated on this before or not, it's also going to make you seriously consider your thought life, right? If these thoughts of committing adultery, if you were to have them in your mind, could potentially lead you to commit adultery, and execution is the end result, you're going to start controlling your thoughts before you ever get to the place of action. These, these mandates have a very refining, confining uh, effect upon the people of any culture that will embrace this. If you understand participating and it means capital punishment in this way, you're going to seriously consider never being involved. You shall put away the evil from among you. If a man is found lying with a woman married to a husband, then both of them shall die. The man, the man that lay with the woman and the woman, so you shall put away the evil from Israel. Verse 23, if a young woman who is a woman, uh, excuse me, if a young woman who is a virgin is betrothed to a husband and a man finds her in the city and lay, lies with her, then they shall bring them both out to the gate of the city. They shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry out in the city, and the man, because he humbled his neighbor's wife, so you should put away the evil from among you. Um, probably the only thing that needs to be clarified there is the betrothal, because a betrothal is, you know, weddings and marriage very different than our culture today. Mary was betrothed to Joseph. They hadn't been together intimately, and no one did during a betrothal. So, you know, arranged marriages, you know, the most common form of marriage within these cultures, commonly parents made those arrangements. Those could be fairly easily broken. You know, you live next door to somebody, you know, whatever, your hunting buddies, your fishing buddies, you know, you like to work on your chariots together, whatever it was at that time. <clears throat> and 
your kids are hanging out and playing together, and you know, aren't they cute? And you know, we say, oh, yeah, hey, why not? Let's 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 you know, our kids will get married when they're grown, and so they swap goats or whatever, and everybody's you know happy. I'm literal, and and everybody's happy, and oh, our kids are going to get married someday. <clears throat> and most of the time, they did, but it could be that when they reached marrying age, that the children you know, have just been throwing rocks at one another the whole time they're growing up and finally said, no, I'm not, I have hated that kid my whole life and I'm not marrying him. And they would allow for the separation. If it comes to the place where the parents are like, it's time for you to move out. you got to marry the girl next door. I'm sick of this. You know what I'm saying? Then they would go to the town hall, essentially. It's referred to as, you know, this the, the gate of the city. And they, they would there make their proclamations, and it would be written down. And they would both sign. Today, right, that would be the wedding license. And that doesn't occur until after the ceremony's taken place. But <clears throat> they would sign the document saying that their intention was marriage, okay? And usually a full year would elapse. Sometimes it happened very rapidly. They would sign and in a matter of days be a marriage. But usually there was a full year. And the young man would go home and he would prepare either a home on his father's property or even just a very large like apartment attached to his father's house. The idea that the father has the stability that he's going to be able to lend to his son in order to help him with the marriage. And then they would also be very, very involved with the marriage emotionally. You know, that they're there guiding and helping and giving advice to the relationship. And then, as I described, uh, he would come, retrieve the bride. They would have the ceremony. It would usually last seven days, and they would consummate the marriage uh, on that first night uh, together. Betrothed is where they would go to the city gates, town hall, and sign the document saying, legally, we're bound together, and we're going to be married in such and such a time, a month you know, a year or whatever it was. So the scripture considers her his wife already. She's legally bound to this man. If anyone is intimate with her in that time, the scripture considers that adultery. There's, you've made a legal commitment to this person, and therefore the answer again is execution. Now one of the things that's interesting intriguing maybe, is the fact that it says that within a city, because she did not cry out. Right? She's in a place where people could have helped her. You want to say this is rape? Then you better have raised a stink that, that people you know, could have assisted you. I, I hate to bring it up, but again, the deterioration of our culture. Did you guys see in the news this past week on New York subway a man raped? a woman in full view of other occupants, and they did nothing to help her. She was crying out and begging for help, and no one did anything to help her. <clears throat> this is our culture, you guys. The, 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 I mean, you know, the, the, what we're hearing, you know, I, I, forgive me for chasing rabbit trail here, but again, you got, uh, was it uh, Alfred Kinsey? who, you know, in the 60s, they, they labeled him as the father of the sexual revolution. So he's, you know, psychologist and got, you know, all of this degrees in sociology. And he comes forward and publishes particularly a, a manuscript study of sexual behavior. And in it, he classifies a whole bunch of norms and says, see, you know, after studying all of these men, and they were honest with me, and they explained to me their desires and their behaviors, <clears throat> I have been able to establish this is the sexual norm for men. This is their thought process. This is their desires. These are their actions. And, and so it is with women. These are their thought processes. These are their desires. These are their actions. And so it is with children. And these are their thought processes. And these are their desires. And these are their actions, right? <clears throat> and so it is with infants and toddlers. No one even asked, how do you know that? Okay, 
later, right? <clears throat> this is the evidence that Hugh Hefner took to the courts and argued for the legal right to begin publishing Playboy magazine. He used Kinsey's studies, right? It, it was year, almost two decades later, when other psychologists examining that said, how does this man know, and I'll just say it this way, how does this man know the sexual capacity of performance of a toddler? And under research, they came to discover through questioning his assistants that he was a pedophile. They researched further and the beginning of that whole study was in England, and he was going into the prisons, and he was questioning men who were on death row for rape, who, who were imprisoned for the rest of their lives for pedophilia, and, and that's where he's getting, what are your sexual desires? And this is how he's classifying, this is what is normal. So our culture, right, unwittingly takes that, and adopts all of that information into the practical application of sexual behavior, right? And what's the result? The 60s. The sexual revolution of the 60s is the result. Oh, this is just normal. Free love, man. Free love? Look at the results. I mean, most markedly, here's a thought. They're now teaching children in grade school that go through sex education classes, if you have sexual encounters with four people in your lifetime, you have nearly a 100% chance that you're going to have a sexually transmitted disease. This is the culture that we live in now, you guys. Completely polluted, completely corrupted by one man. Think about that influence. One man stepping forward, and because he's a, a scientist, right? Every, put the quote brackets around that. Everybody goes, awesome. I'll give you another area of influence, and then I'll come right back to this one, right? Evolution, Charles Darwin. Hey, do we all understand that Charles Darwin was not a scientist? Okay, how, how about this, right? 1869, nobody's looked through a microscope yet. Nobody studied the microbial world. Right? He referred to the single cell as a meaningless globule of living tissue. Meaningless. Every single cell in your body is so significant, it's crazy. And this guy has such a limited understanding that he's just writing it off as this meaningless thing. He had no idea what he was talking about. Come forward to Kinsey, no idea what he's talking about. He's a complete criminal himself, and our entire culture today, sexually, and its thought life, and its behavior, is based upon that criminal's assessment of what was normal. You know, we're making movies about him, venerating him as a hero. What, what we're seeing today and transgenderism and all of that, the LBGTQ community, is a result of what that man introduced into our culture. Imagine if we'd respected God's word and stayed the course on what we're reading right here. Even if you want to remove the executions, if we just had the severity of understanding of purity, that we understood the gravity and we protected and preserved it. The fulfillment that our culture would be seeing. If she's in a city and she's with a man intimately and has not cried out that it is adultery, there needs to be accountability according to the scripture. I think many of us in this room could raise our hand and say, thank goodness, thank God for the grace of God today. Right? Because the, the, room, the population of the room would be much smaller if this was... I'm so grateful for the grace of God and what he's done in my life in these areas and the way that he's protected and preserved us, found his truth and departed from this way of living. So, betrothed to the husband, stoned to death, remove the evil from among you. If a man finds a betrothed young woman 
in the countryside, and the man forces her and lies with her, then only the man who lay with her shall die. But you shall do nothing to the young woman. There is in the young woman no sin. There is in the young woman no sin deserving of death. For just as when a man rises against his neighbor and kills him, even so is this matter. Think about this. The scripture makes sexual assault equal to murder. Think about how far away from that our culture is. Either way you want to put it, right? Because if you want to say, well, we're not putting to death the people who, let's just go with like molest children. We're not putting them to death. Well, how about this? We're not putting murderers to death. Right? We, we've lost the value of life. We've lost the value of sexual intimacy. We've abandoned God's word and his truth, and we are suffering the consequences of it. Our culture is being ripped apart and destroyed by this. <laughs> children staying at other children's homes, overnights, sleepovers, all of the psychologists are now saying, parents, do not do that. Oh, it's just their cousins. The psychologists are saying, do not do that. Because the children are continuously seeing and experiencing and being exposed to sexual understanding through media and television and magazines at the checkout store. They're being exposed to this. So simple exploration, this, is, this may shock you, simple exploration on the part of children is leading to sexual assault amongst children at greater than 50%. More than one out of every two children is experiencing sexual assault from their own peers. This is how sick and twisted our culture is. This is how protective we have to be as parents. How about this? <clears throat> My oldest daughter is 30 years old. When I was reading the studies when she was a child, it was only one in four. And that was shocking enough to me. Right, A few decades pass, and now her children, we have to consider the fact that greater than 50% of them, some of the statistics, some of the statistics say that it's as high as 75%. Every four children that you meet, three of them have experienced molestation. Definitely, if you include molestation by adults or their peers, you collect it all together, one or, or, or three out of every four have experienced it. It's shocking. Our culture. Think about this. Go back to whose responsibility is it? It's the parents' responsibility to protect. Right? I mean, when you were a child, right? <clears throat> wouldn't you have loved, even right now, <clears throat> no show of hands, wouldn't you love to go back and get your innocence back? Your purity? Be an amazing thing, wouldn't it? To not have a scarred mind, not have all of those experiences. Parental responsibility. <clears throat> if there's a dad in the home, a dad in the marriage, more importantly, your responsibility. I, as a grandfather, as a father, I, I've always taken these things very seriously, and I admonish you to do the same. So no one was there to save her. <clears throat> this poor young woman in the countryside, and she's clearly come forward and said, this man did something to me that I did not want. Once she's gotten to a place where she can express that, if a man finds a young woman who's a virgin, who is not betrothed, and seizes her and lies with her, <clears throat> and they are found out, then the man who lay with her shall give the young woman's father 50 shekels of silver, and she shall be uh, with, uh, and she shall be his wife because he has humbled her. He shall not be permitted to divorce her for all of his days. You could interpret the way that's written as sort of the elopement. 
right? Two young people, I want to be with you. And they run off and come back and announce, we've been together. <clears throat> well, fine. You're now married. Um, you know, you didn't go through proper channels and you're going to have to live in this relationship for the rest of your lives. You don't just get to, you know, as our culture, forgive me for the crassness, but you don't just get to, as our culture says, you know, go around hooking up. There, there is commitment to this. Sexual intimacy produces a, an emotional and spiritual bonding where the two become one flesh. And it's necessary that they be bound together. You know, you need to understand what the scripture is trying to protect us from. So very often when these things are thought of or described, people look at it like, oh, there's just all this wonderful stuff to experience and God's just put up this huge wall and I can't get at it. God is protecting us. He's saying if you go over that wall, you're into territory you do not belong in. Okay, Hear me in this. Marriage is an institution created by God. Our culture right now is like, oh, well, you know, homosexuals can get married too. No, they really can't. Do whatever you want to, right? Have you ever seen children play home? Okay, you're going to be the mom and I'll be the dad. And, you know, they'll even do with the kids like, and, and you'll be the dog. And, you know, saying it gets weird. That's what our culture is doing right now. Okay, you're a boy, but you'll be the girl. You know, I'll be the man. We'll get married here. And they make themselves up a little document and people sign. Marriage is created by God. It is the eternal union between one man and one woman. And that's the end of the discussion. The devil hates Marriage, because it is an institution that is created by God, right? There's a few institutions I hate, right? CNN, ACLU, you know, IRS. It's dangerous to even say some of these things, right? If I could, I would abolish those organizations. I would get rid of them. I'm an enemy of those things. Those things are an enemy of me. Marriage is created by God, and the devil hates that institution. And he wants to destroy it. Even homosexuals entering into marriage fall under attack. Because, no, think about how many you've seen, these celebrities, they get married. And then one year, two years later, they're having to figure out what to do with their adopted kids and who gets, right? It's crazy, right? Well, because marriage is an institution that belongs to God. You enter into that institution and know this, you will be attacked by the devil. He'll let you climb up over the fence and go roam around in the places that don't belong to you, right? Because that makes you an enemy of that institution also. You're violating the institution God created. You say, I'm going to get done doing this. I'm going to stay inside the protective fence that God gave me. I don't want to experience any more pain. I'm going to go through the door of marriage that he prescribed. I'm going to enter into that relationship ceremonially, and, and the missiles start landing. If you're not under the protective shield of God, you're going to experience hardship like you can't imagine. Marriage is difficult because it puts you as an enemy in a new way to Satan you've never been before. Staying inside the protective confines of what God created is beneficial to us. Lastly, a man shall not take his father's wife nor uncover his father's bed. Certainly, this would pertain to incest, a man's own mother, but more significantly, it's referring to 
a stepmother. So, dad, you know, let's just say that, you know, it's, it's, he's a widow. And he remarries. And the young man, the son, develops a relationship completely forbidden. And you say, of course. Well, we get to the New Testament and Paul is having to address this inside the church at Corinth. Because there's a young man that has done that. And it's especially destructive. And Paul makes a statement. And I want you to hear this clearly. He makes a statement. I need you to put that young man out of the church that his body would be destroyed so that his soul would be saved. Paul, in that severe reaction, is saying right on the front end, my desire is that man's repentance and that man's restoration to the church. He, he doesn't have, oh, hey, you want his body to be destroyed? Yeah, his flesh, his, his sinful fleshly desires. Paul isn't wishing harm upon him as much as he is that the man would take up his cross daily and follow Jesus Christ. The same as you or I. He wants repentance. He wants restoration. He wants life and health in that man's life. All of us need to understand that by and large, collectively, what the Lord just you know, announced to us is the importance and the significance of both marriage and sexual purity. We need to have the gravity in mind, not only for ourselves, that's the first place you need to absorb it, but also in our ignorant action and our communication with others. We need to relay the significance to the world around us. Yeah. If, if we're not absorbing the proper understanding and sharing it with the world, who's going to? Right? They're not going to turn to the word, right? They're going to turn to Cosmopolitan Magazine or, you know, who knows what else and take the survey and discover themselves. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. We need to be the ones who understand from the scripture what God prescribes for these things for everyone's benefit. Right? This produces good things, pleasurable things in our culture. Without it, then you end up where we're at right now. And worse. There's worse ahead of us. We're headed to bad, dark places. Sodom and Gomorrah is, is what is ahead. So, you know, good news. Hope you're blessed by it. Accuracy, truth, always beneficial. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you would help us as men and women to have a really accurate understanding of the things you're saying. And within that, a boldness to share it with the world very graciously, very lovingly, and very appropriately in a way that's helpful and beneficial to them. Help us to be your ambassadors your emissaries. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.